If you open your Bible again to Hebrews 11 and the passage we read a moment ago, and you'll be able to follow along. Now, the word faith, the term faith, is something that is used by a lot of people, but it's used and not necessarily they know why they're using it or maybe understand what they're saying. Just last Christmas time, we held special outreaches at Staten Lees and knocking the doors in the five villages that are round about the chapel. More than ever, I came across those who talked about faith. There was the, those who said, I have my faith. I have our faith. It doesn't matter what faith you have as long as you have faith. That one got me. I just couldn't quite figure that one out. It doesn't matter. It's just as long as you have a bit of faith. And we know that within our society and and so forth over recent months, we've probably heard more on the media from those in, in high profile positions talking about that whether you're a person of faith or, or whether you're a person of none, it doesn't matter. We can all come together. We, we have a common goal. We have a common cause. My question to those who talk about faith and come out with such statements usually is, okay, you have faith, but what's your faith in? Because that, that surely is, you talk about faith, you need to have an object, surely, on what your faith is in. And I suppose there are those who have faith in religion, who like to work through the, the rituals of religion and doing certain things and feel religious and how they act, and, and so forth, and, and they put their trust in that, in a religion, a religion maybe they've been brought up in. There are those who put their faith in systems. There are those who put their faith in the financial system. Although we see where that gets us. <laughs> so much uncertainty, isn't there? There are those who put faith in humanity. But again... We can struggle with that because while, yes, there are many who are good and kind, and yet there are those who will let us down when we put our faith in humanity. We might even put our faith in self. And I wonder if the increase, particularly in our own nation, of those who now in the census tick the box that they have no faith or they don't believe anything. I wonder if the increase of that is because of the confusion of the, the idea or the understanding of faith. Maybe the lifestyle, maybe the attitude of those who profess to have a faith have put many off from wanting to have a faith or to be associated with a faith. Maybe the vagueness of what faith is. And you know in those few statements I mentioned at the start. The vagueness of what we are actually to believe. Of what it is we're to believe. Has just caused many to see it as untrustworthy and weak. But you know let's go away from the world. Let's go away from everything that's on the outside. 
And let's get back to the word of God because whenever we do this, whenever we read the word of God and whenever we come even to this portion of God's word, Hebrews chapter 11, we are left in no doubt as to what true faith is. When we read God's word, we're left in no doubt who the object of our faith ought to be in. The key verse in in Hebrews 11 is there in verse 6. And the writer puts it that without faith, it is impossible to please him. So we see there the importance of faith. But we see that it's got to be a faith that ought to please him. Well, the question of a lot of people will be, well, who is the him? Who is it that we're trying to please? Well, we just go to the previous verse and we go to verse 5. And we see who it is that we are to please because we see the faith of Enoch. It says that he was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. The Bible's clear. And God himself has spoken. Isaiah chapter 45 is one of many passages. But in that chapter, God himself spoke and said that I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. There is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. And so it's very clear who ought to be the object of faith. It is a faith that ought to please God. Who is this God? Well, he's the one that there's none like. There's no one else. There's no one else like him in his person. There's no one else like him in his power. I just want to give you a few quick, quick fire points on, on God. Some just quick fire things on who it is our faith ought to be in. Why it ought to be in him. And who it is that is speaking. Uh, there's a whole lot more that could be, can be said, but I just want to point a few things out. First of all, we see that it's faith in God, in the one that is self-existent. And when the Lord said in Isaiah, I am the Lord, there is none other. Really, he's revealing that there is none other like him that is self-existent. We see back in Hebrews 11 verse 6, that without faith it's impossible to please him. That's God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. We are to believe that he has become. God is not a figment of our imagination. God is not somebody that we make up in our own mind of who we want to worship. We want this and we want that in, in a God. That's, that's not what is being said here. He, he is not a God of wood or stone. But he is the God who is self-existent. No, no one has created him. He always has been. He is eternal. Let me turn it round and, and look at what we see within our own world. And ask the question... Does Buddha communicate? 
We see so many around the shrines of Buddha and worshipping him and, and trying to please him and doing all they can. And yet does he communicate? Do the, the statutes to the many and various saints, do they communicate? And we could go on. But as we know at the very start of, of the letter to the Hebrews, in chapter 1 and verse 1, it just begins like this. God who at various times and in various ways spoke. Just starts like that. God, there's no question. He is the self-existent one. So there is none other that is self-existent like him. We see that there is none other who has provided the answer to the whole of humanity's problem. And we could go on at the beginning of the letter to the Hebrews in chapter 1. Because after it says in verse 1 what it has, it goes on in verse 2 to say this. That God, yes, he's spoken various times and in various ways in the past. Has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. And that is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, 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 who is he? What has he done? Well, verse 3 goes on to say that who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power. And then it goes on to say this. When he had by himself purged our sins. And so there is none other who has provided the answer to the whole of mankind, each one of our problems, our sin. And God has spoken and has given his only son, the Lord Jesus, to purge our sin. But there's also something else. There is none other who is as, majest as majestic in his nature and person as God. The one that we ought to have faith in. And without faith it's impossible to please. There's none other as majestic in his nature and person. Because when we talk about God. We are talking about the, the triune God. The triune God. God the Father. God the Son. And God the Holy Spirit. And I think we need to make that clear. That is the definition of who God is. The Bible's clear in 1 Timothy 2 verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There we have God the Father, there we have God the Son. And then in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 3, Paul says that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so what we come to understand in who our faith ought to be in and who our faith ought to, without faith it's impossible to please, is that we come to know God the Father by no other way except through his Son, the Lord Jesus. And we cannot come to know the Lord Jesus unless the Holy Spirit works within us. And gives us that faith. We see in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 10. 
Paul says to the Corinthians, God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. And sadly, for various reasons, many today in our world have such a deficient view of who God is. That's why I've just given you them quick fire things. And as I say, there's many more things we could bring out. William Tyndale, who we give praise to God for, that we have the word of God today, one of the many, he said this, that right faith, is a thing wrought in us by the Holy Ghost, which changes us, turns us into a new nature, and begets us anew to God, and makes us sons of God, and makes us altogether new in heart, mind, will, and desire. And so we must come to believe that he is. We must come to have faith In God, because without that it's impossible to please him. We must come to know who he is. And sadly, the deficient view of God today, even within the so-called churches, even within the so-called Christian community, is that they have gone away from faith in God. Tozer put that faith rest upon the character of God, not upon the demonstration of laboratory or logic. And they've got, many have gone away from the word of God, from what God has spoken himself. And many have tried in their own minds the spirit of man in logic, trying to work God out, trying to understand and make him more acceptable. Many have gone to the laboratory to try and work out, well, has God created? But we will never come to understand. We will never come to have faith in those things. Our faith comes and rests upon who God is and what he has revealed of himself because he has spoken And so we, as I say, this morning and this evening are going to look at this passage and and have just a little glimpse of what faith is. What is true faith? And I I trust that the Lord might speak and help each one of us as we do, do so. Now, we're using Abraham as the example. And it's interesting that 15 verses in Hebrews chapter 11 are given to Abraham, the the most Verses given to any of those who are mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 11. More is written of him. Because as you read in scripture and in the New Testament as a whole. He is described as the father of the faithful. And therefore we have his example even for us today. Paul wrote to the Romans that Abraham is the father of all those who believe. Again in Romans he said those who are of faith, sorry, those who are of the faith of Abraham who is father of us all. Now 
It's not saying that Christians have replaced the Jews because naturally Abraham is still the father of that nation, the nation Israel. Isaiah 51 verse 2, the prophet says, Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you. Well, we we can't say that unless we're of a Jewish lineage. We can't say Abraham's our father or Sarah bore us. And so Abraham, he's... He is the father of the nation of Israel. We know as well that Islam will try to grab Abraham as their father because through Ishmael they have that line. But for those who believe in God, for those who have true faith, we have his example and we have his encouragement to each and every one of us. So let's get to our passage. First of all, we see the call of faith. We see the call of faith in verse 8. It says that by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. The call of faith. Now if you want the full story you can go back to Genesis chapter 12 and read about this account. But very simply, I want to go to Acts 7 and just read of what Stephen says of this account. Because a lot of people say the Bible contradicts itself, it doesn't tie together. And yet we see three passages here that don't contradict. But Stephen said in in Acts chapter 7 and verse 2, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. Before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. What was the call to Abraham? Very simply, when you look in Genesis 12, when you look at that passage in Acts, when you read here in Hebrews chapter 11, very simply the call was to get out, was to go. At a point in Abraham's life, we don't know exactly what point, but at a point in Abraham's life, God spoke to him and called Abraham to get out from the land that he was living in. We, we aren't given a lot of insight into his life before God speaks to him, but we do have a passage, and there might be some others, but in Joshua 24 and verse 2, we are given an insight into the spiritual darkness that Abraham and his relatives were in. Because it says in Joshua 24 verse 2, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Now I just want us to make it clear here. Abraham wasn't somebody who was born into faith in God. Abraham wasn't somebody who just happened to stumble upon God as he was worshipping other gods. What we see here is that Abraham, his relatives, they were spiritually dark they didn't know the true and the living God. They, they served other gods, idols. But at a point in Abraham's life, God speaks to him and calls him. It's interesting in Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 7. 
It says there about you are the Lord God who chose Abram. Abraham didn't choose God, didn't decide I'll have faith in you God. God spoke to him. You know we have a bit of a picture here of everyone born. Our greatest need and our greatest problem is sin. And because our nature is sinful, when we are born, we would do anything else than to worship and acknowledge God. We would want to set our love and set our affection on anything and anyone else but God. Maybe we would even want to worship ourselves before we would ever acknowledge God. Romans 1, we know that great chapter that Paul there gives us an insight into the sinful nature of each and every one of us. He talked about how those who did not glorify him as God nor were thankful. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But that's what we don't do. We aren't born to glorify God. We aren't born to be thankful to him. We're very unthankful. We're very very selfish. That is our sinful nature. Verse 23, Paul talks about those who change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image like corruptible man. Making a God of our own choosing. And so we could see a picture of the call of the gospel here when we see the call of faith that came to Abraham. And the call of the gospel is for us to leave this sort of life. The call of the gospel is to repent of our unwillingness to worship God, to repent of our unthankfulness and acknowledgement of God, to repent of our sinfulness and rebellion, and to turn and to start to live the life of faith in him. For without faith it's impossible to please him. Galatians 2 verse 20, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. In myself? No, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, in a sense, God's call to Abraham could be summed up like this. God came and he called Abraham and he said, get out, get away from the idol worship, get away from the darkness and now come and live and follow me. Trust in me. Worship me. Live according to my will, my purpose for your life, no longer your own. The call of faith came to Abraham. God was gracious. What was Abraham's response to this call? Well, I need a bit more time, God. Oh, I, I just need to work out, God, if you're real. Know what we read in verse 8 is that he went out. God called him to go. It says that he went out. The, the account in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 4, it says this, that he departed as the Lord had spoken. 
As God had called him to go out, so he went. He didn't delay. We see in Abraham, faith's obedience to God's call. And so the question I bring to you first of all this morning is this. Have you obeyed the call of the gospel to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Because that's where true faith begins. True faith doesn't begin in going to a church. True faith does not begin in coming to understand the Bible. True faith begins whenever we come to repent of sin and believe in the Lord Jesus. God has spoken in these last days by his Son. Acts 4 verse 12 puts it clear that there is there is, nor is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we, we must be saved. Our faith is not to be in the goodness of humanity. Our faith is not to be in the, the, a common cause of everyone in this world. Our faith is not even to be in the sacrificial acts of kindness of so many. We cannot please God with that sort of faith. Peter said in his, in his first epistle, Whom having not seen, you love. Oh, if the Lord would show himself to me, then I'll put my faith in him. No. That's not faith. Whom having not seen you love. Though now you do not see him. Yet believing. You rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith. What is the end of faith in the Lord Jesus? The salvation of your souls. What saves us is faith in Christ. Not faith in our faith. Not faith in our faith. But faith in him. And so we see the call of faith. We see that it's not just something we are born into. It's not something we grow into. It's not something that we intellectually come to understand. God calls. And as he calls us by his son. I wonder, have we responded? Have we been obedient? Have we put our faith and trust in him? We see secondly, not not only the call of faith, but we see the continuance of faith. We see this in verse 9. We follow on that having been obedient in faith to to God's call, we have Abraham's example of what it is to continue to walk. In faith, by faith. His walk started by faith when he left that land, when he turned his back on the idol worship and he started to to follow God. But it continued. That wasn't the end of his faith. It continued when he got to the land to which God had guided him, which he was to receive as an inheritance. Now, let me just say, and I can't go into a lot of detail or we'll never finish, but when Abraham got to the land, it wasn't easy. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't always happy. 
It wasn't all okay because we know that there was a famine came to the land and he had to go to Egypt to, to find food. And he, you could just imagine him, Lord, you've called me to this land. You've called me to leave home, to leave family, to leave the comforts. I've come to this land and now there's a famine. There's no food. True faith continues believing that he is. Isn't that what we are to do? When we come to please God by faith in him, for without it's impossible, we come and we believe that he is. And Abraham had to believe that God is, even in difficult circumstances. You know, if at the first crisis someone says, I've lost my faith. I've turned away from that faith. It doesn't say much about faith, does it? If at the first or maybe at a certain point in their life and they say, well, no, I've had enough. It's too difficult. You think of the the parable, don't we? In, in Mark, the Lord Jesus talks about those about the seed sown on the stony ground and then he gives us the interpretation of that in Mark 4 verse 16. Jesus says, These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who when they hear the word immediately receive it with gladness and they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a while. Afterward when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. But we have another example here from Abraham. Not only the, the obedience to the call of faith, but the continuance of faith. The true faith, it doesn't rely on the comforts and the circumstances of life. True faith doesn't look for the fulfillments and the joys of this world. We see Abraham's continuance in faith in verse 13 in that he is described as a stranger and a pilgrim on this earth. Stranger and a pilgrim, difficult, not easy. True faith is not at home in this world. This world, its system, it's in its grip, of Satan who is the prince of, of, of this hour. It's full of rebellion. It's full of darkness. It's full of wickedness. And how can true faith be at home or be happy in such a world? And so Abraham, he's described as being a stranger and a pilgrim on this earth. That was the continuance of his faith. So I turn the application on ourselves. How is the continuance of our walk in faith? Are we described, when we look and examine ourselves, if we're off the faith, if we have true faith, can you look on yourself and say, yeah, I'm a stranger in this earth. I'm a stranger to this world. Do you love this world? Well, John says that if we love this world, we're an enemy of God. We, we are not to walk 
in the way of the world like we once did. We are not to desire, we are not to to first, as it were, after the things of this world any longer. Our attitudes, our desires are, are not like they once were whenever we have that true faith in God himself. Not only, sorry, someone described it like this, that when a person becomes a Christian, the sense that the sin that was once a delightful meal tastes like a barrel of rot and the life of sin that was once a fragrant bed smells and feels like a marry wallow. The Christian is not immune to sin, but can no longer find long-term delight in it. Are we a stranger to that life? Not only was Abraham's continuance and faith described as a stranger on the earth, but also as a pilgrim. This world was not all that he had. This world was not all that he looked to. And we'll have to come back tonight and look at a bit more at this. But he was a pilgrim. And what does a pilgrim do? A pilgrim journeys. A pilgrim leaves somewhere and journeys to somewhere else. But when he left Mesopotamia and when he came to the land which the Lord had given him as an inheritance, that still wasn't the end of his journey. He was still looking on. He was still pressing on. He was looking for what was ahead. That was the continuance of Abraham's faith. I wonder is that describing yours and mine tonight, this morning, having obeyed the call to come and to trust the Lord Jesus Christ, do we continue to walk by faith and not by sight? Someone said that walking in faith shows that the Christian life is a pilgrimage with its destination not in this life, but only far off in the next. I'm going to leave it there, but we will come back tonight and we'll look at the certainty of faith and we'll look at the confirmation of faith. But in trying to to define and trying to understand just a little bit today, what is true faith? Well, who is it in? What does it continue? Do, do we still walk in in faith? Does our faith still look to the Lord? May the Lord help and apply his word to our hearts. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your word, the truthfulness of it. We thank you that when we read it, we, Lord, are reading your word, not mine, not not anyone else's. And so, Father, I just pray that in what we thought about this morning, that your Holy Spirit will continue to speak, will continue to guide us in truth, will continue to reveal to us uh, what we're looking at and what true faith. And may we examine our own hearts that we are of the faith. Oh Lord, I pray that if, an, if our faith this morning is in anything else except Jesus Christ, I pray that you will reveal to us the need to turn and to trust in him and in him alone. To not trust in ourselves, to not trust in anyone else, but Lord, to come to the one, that your only son that you have given, 
because of your great love for each and every one of us. And Lord, as well, Lord, may you help us to examine, Lord, the continuance of our walk in faith. That, Lord, we are walking as we ought to. And, Lord, that we are heading to where you have promised that you will take us to be. And so, Lord, we pray that you will bring us back safely tonight. You'll go ahead of us and we look for your blessing and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.